Christmas is the time of year when faith comes more to center stage in our lives than maybe it does in other times of the year. And that's, I think that's true culturally. It's certainly true in the life of the church, that as we take time to, again, sing some of these songs, observe some of our traditions, uh, get engaged in the particular readings in the Bible, you know, faith comes right to center stage. The question is, well, do we believe or what do we believe? But what often happens when we do that is we might realize, you know what, maybe I'm not doing so great this year. Maybe my faith isn't what I know it could be or what I know it should be. And while I am a big fan of ambiance and, you know, the, the twinkly lights and the red and green decorations and uh, hot chocolate, you know, this, these are all very good things, but they're not enough to get the job done. When it comes to asking what or in whom have I put my faith and am I living in accordance with having put my faith in Jesus? This prophecy we're going to look at this morning in Isaiah 7, it confronts unbelief. And again, we're, we're really familiar with the content of the prophecy in verse 14. But as we'll see in the context, it's not just about Emmanuel coming. It's about what Emmanuel coming says about who God is and about who we are. And so we need to come to Isaiah 7 this morning with with a readiness to ask this question. Am I living by faith? Have I genuinely trusted in Emmanuel? And if not, why not? What's going on in my life that I need to address so as we pick up the, the scene here, we're dropping in the middle of Isaiah 7. And because we were just in 2 Kings, it's really kind of helpful because it's not that far off of where we were towards the end of 2 Kings. Really, if you want to correlate Isaiah 7 to Kings in your Bible, it's 2 Kings 16. That's the neighborhood that, that connects these two. It's, this is the reign of Ahaz, who was a wicked king of, uh, of Judah, the southern kingdom. He was a young punk at this time, about 20 years old. Uh, when uh, the prophet Isaiah was sent to uh, give this message to him. Now, you got to know this about uh, Ahaz. So Ahaz is a young, again, he's a young punk king. And as a young king, uh, there were two nations, two neighboring nations that felt that Judah was vulnerable at this time. There's a long story as to why that's the case. But the short version is the king of the northern kingdom, uh, Pekah, and the king of the nation of Syria, whose name was Rezin, um, you know, these two guys, Pekah and Rezin, they teamed up and they attacked the southern kingdom. And they thought we could take it. It's their weak and we could take it. And Ahaz was uh, very much in a position of weakness and he needed help. And so he was thinking, where am I going to turn to for help? The king of Judah, a descendant of the line of David. And he's thinking, where am I going to turn to for help? I know I'll go to the greatest source of strength I can imagine, Assyria. Assyria was the big powerhouse at the time. And so King Ahaz literally, we find this in 2 Kings 16, he literally wrote letters to Assyria saying, these guys are going to attack. Please come and attack them. Come rescue us and I'll give you money. And he did. He gave them gold from the temple. In fact, if you read in 2 Kings 16, he did more than that. He adopted Assyrian pagan worship practices and temple designs to incorporate them into the remodeling of the temple in Jerusalem according to a pagan influence. All that to say, Ahaz was not a man strong in faith. So Ahaz is out one day, and he's inspecting the water supply of the city 
okay? And God says to the prophet Isaiah, remember the prophet's job? The prophet's job is to go to the king or to the people and give them the word of God. Tell them what God says, what God thinks, and what God says they should do, right? So Isaiah the prophet, uh, God says, Isaiah, go, take your son and... uh, and go meet King Ahaz while he's inspecting the water. So Ahaz is inspecting the water because good water supply is going to protect them in the time of the, you know, attack and all that. And he's really, you know, kind of thinking through the practical concerns of the nation. And Isaiah basically comes and he confronts Ahaz for his lack of faith. Literally what he says to him, it's really interesting. He says, he calls him to believe. He says, if you do not stand firm in your faith then you will not stand at all. He's like, Ahaz, what are you doing? You're out here, you're checking the water supply. What you should be doing is you should be on your knees. And you should be seeking refuge in the Lord. He says, if your faith doesn't stand, if you don't stand firm in your faith, then you will not stand at all. This unbelief is going to cost you. And then we get to verse 10, which is where we find a little bit more familiar territory. So Isaiah is having this conversation with King Ahaz. Watch verse 10. Isaiah chapter 7, then the Lord spoke again to Ahaz here through Isaiah. And he says in verse 11, ask for a sign from the Lord your God. It can be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. Now, if you pause right here, okay, God does something very gracious at this moment. He, he basically acknowledges that it's hard sometimes to believe. By the way, can anybody else resonate with that? Sometimes it's hard to believe. It's hard to live by faith. It's hard to trust God when, boy, the medical diagnosis isn't easy or good, or when the finances are really a problem, or we're facing that particular issue in the family or at school or whatever it is, and we're really struggling. Sometimes it's hard to trust God in those moments. It's a lot easier to write letters to Assyria at those times, just to seek help in, in ways that we can see. But nonetheless, here's Ahaz struggling. And so through the prophet Isaiah, God says, okay, Isaiah, tell Ahaz, ask for a sign, any sign, and I'll give it to you. Now, it's, it's generally speaking a negative thing to seek a sign from God. But if God offers you a sign— through his prophet, then you should take it. Because it's God graciously, graciously saying, listen, you're having a hard time trusting me. I get that. Let me help you trust me. Let me just show you how awesome I am. And so God here graciously just offers Ahaz any sign. As high as, as heaven or as low as Sheol, it doesn't matter. Verse 12. But Ahaz replied, I will not ask. I will not test the Lord. You see, Ahaz was a little bit more up on his Old Testament than we might believe. Because there are several places in the scripture, most notably in the time of wandering in wilderness, most notably also in Judges, where even in Psalms, where testing God is presented as a negative. You don't ask for a sign. If God offers you a sign, take it. But you don't go to God and ask for a sign. You don't put God to the test and say, God, if you do this, I'll do this. If you jump through this soup, then I'll do this. That puts you in the position of authority, not God. That's a problem consistently throughout the Old Testament. And Ahaz, he knows this. And so he offers here what is on the surface a very spiritual, pious, religious answer. The prophet Isaiah comes to him, says, I have a word for you from God Almighty. Ahaz says, what is it? And he says, the Lord says, ask for any sign as as low as Sheol or as high as heaven, and he will give it. And Ahaz says, oh, I will not ask. And this is like my my most pious voice, okay? So just work with me here. Uh, I will not ask. I will not test the Lord. Oh, and he just, he couldn't even get it out without, you know, oh, like that. 
Like he really put on a show. He wasn't going to test the Lord because he'd already written the letters to Assyria. And you know what Ahaz thought? He thought, I've got this. I don't need to trust the Lord. But he, he wraps that unbelief up in a really pretty Christmas package. It, it looks really religious. It, it was very pious sounding. Again, you shouldn't ask the Lord for signs. You shouldn't test the Lord like that. But here God has offered him that sign. And Ahaz is so stubborn. He's so prideful. His unbelief is so deeply rooted. He's like, I'm not even going to do that. And then we hit verse 13, where the prophetic gloves come off, as we say. Watch verse 13. Isaiah said, listen, house of David. Is it not enough for you to try the patience of men? Will you also try the patience of my God? I mean, Isaiah just, he just tells him straight up. And notice what he says here in verse 13. It's, it's important. He says, listen, house of David. House of David is a, a reference, of course, to the, the dynasty, the line that Ahaz comes from. But that tracks all the way back to 2 Samuel 7, where God promised to produce from the line of David a king who would reign forever. And so there's this, when the phrasing house of David, it's, it's uh, meant to focus Ahaz's attention on the promises of God that he had made to the house of David. And so he's like, listen, house of David, you should know this. You should know that God is faithful and God is trustworthy and that he keeps his promises. But he says, here's the deal. Instead of trusting in God, once again, I have to rebuke you. Is it not enough for you to try the patience of men? You will also, or will you also try the patience of my God? Notice what Isaiah says. He calls God my God, not our God. Because he knows that Ahaz is not trusting in God. You know, Ahaz isn't following God. Ahaz isn't looking to God for protection and deliverance. He isn't praying to the Lord. He's remodeling the temple based on Assyrian plans. That's what he's doing. And so Isaiah says, you are testing the patience of God here, Ahaz. And yes, I know he's not your God. And so that's a word of judgment. That's like, dude, this unbelief is not going to work. You need to repent of your unbelief. You need to turn back to the Lord. But then, in verse 14, it's remarkable. Therefore, in light of your stubbornness, therefore, the Lord himself, the Lord, he especially, will give you a sign. You are so stubborn, Ahaz, but the Lord is gracious anyway. And he's going to give you a sign anyway. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. So at this point, Isaiah points to some young, marriageable age girl, okay? We don't know who it was. It's very possibly someone who later would become uh, shortly Isaiah's wife. So we don't know all the details of how this works out, but he points to this girl, and he says, she's going to give birth, and, and that son is going to be named or called Emmanuel, and we know that Emmanuel means God is with us. Ahaz's comfort, his peace at night, he could sleep because he believed Assyria is with us. That was his thinking. But the, the confrontation here of the prophet and the sign of this child being born, the sign, the, the sign child says, it doesn't matter who else is with us, we need God with us. That's our hope in the midst of this attack. That's our hope when we're exposed. That's our hope, period. 
is that God is with us. And this child is supposed to be a reminder of that, a sign to King Ahaz, a rebuke of his unbelief even. And there's more about this child. Watch verse 15. By the time this little guy, by the time he learns to reject what is bad and choose what is good, but by the time he comes to a mature age, he will be eating curds and honey. A famous Christmas dish, curds and honey. Not so much. What's going on here with the curds and honey? We find out in chapter 8. So the curds, soured milk, uh, maybe soured goat milk. Uh, the idea here is from chapter 8 that when the Assyrians actually come and attack and all the stuff kind of goes down, that's going to go down, that the people will not have access to their normal food, their normal diet. And all they're going to do is they're going to have these goats and a little bit of honey, and that's their food to eat while they're on the run, basically getting run out of town or in the midst of the oppression of the Assyrians and, and experiencing a siege. So it's not really a positive. It's kind of like sour milk and honey. Like it's a, it's a twist on the, the promised land being the land of milk and honey. But it's not milk and honey here. It's sour goat milk and honey, Ugh, right? Like it's not a positive thing. So by the time this kid gets old enough to be mature, it's good, things are going to get tough. Verse 16, for before the boy knows to reject what is bad and choose what is good, the land of the two kings you dread will be abandoned. Oh, good. Pekin and Reza will be dealt with. But, verse 17, the Lord will bring on you, your people, and your father's house such a time as has never been since Ephraim separated from Judah. He will bring the king of Assyria. He's like, Ahaz, you're looking to, you're looking to Assyria to rescue you. They are going to come and punish you. And it happened. This was like 735 when this prophecy was given, give or take. The Assyrians were in town in less than 15 years. They were there, causing problems. And there was a child born. It's most likely a later son of Isaiah. We find out in chapter 8, his name was Mahershalal Hashbaz. <laughs> Which means what? Which means quick to the plunder, swift to the spoil. And that means that, guess what? Those who trust in God will be victorious, but those who don't believe in God will be plundered. And that silent child was born, and he's referred to as Emmanuel in chapter 8. The sign to Ahaz, stop trusting in yourself, stop trusting in Assyria, start trusting in God. Because our only hope, Ahaz, is that God is with us. Listen, we need to beware pious unbelief. We need to be warned against and beware pious unbelief this morning. Emmanuel, the initial fulfillment of this prophecy, this child uh, known as Emmanuel, right, as an additional name, this child was a sign to King Ahaz. The sign was, you got to trust God or else. Like, th this, is, this is the only hope you have. The, the sign child calls Ahaz to reject his unbelief and to turn to the Lord, to reject trusting in what he could see and turn to the Lord. The, the sign child basically says this, God is with us. And that child is meant to be a constant reminder to Ahaz whenever he would see him. And maybe if it was indeed Isaiah's son, Mehershalal Hashbaz, and he sees Isaiah, you know, coming in to and fro from the temple, and he's got his, his family in tow, and there's Mehershalal Hashbaz, there's Emmanuel, there's the sign again, man, I should be trusting God. But Ahaz was not a man who responded with repentance and faith. That kid just irritated him. Because he did not turn from his unbelief. He did not turn and trust in the Lord. All the while, the existence of this child screams, He 
is with us. He is with us. Can I just encourage you this morning? Don't be an Ahaz. Don't. (laughs) Don't be the person who knows you have pockets of unbelief in your heart and yet refuses to deal with it. Don't be the person who's so busy you're distracted from dealing with your spiritual health. Don't be the person who wraps up your unbelief in a very pretty religious package. There's a danger. Now, there are warning signs for us of pious unbelief. I'll give you a few of these. You could brainstorm more later. One sign, one warning sign of pious unbelief is when you use religious language a lot without genuine faith. So if you're quick to use Christianese, you know, Christian terms, quote verses even, even as Ahaz did, you know, he's, he's kind of alluding to a couple of scriptures there. You, you know, you're willing to, to use that spiritual language, but you're not really ever willing to stop and take care of what needs taken care of in your heart. So you're all about using the language, but it's not real. It's not genuine. That's a warning sign. Another one could be focusing on appearance versus substance. Just focusing on how you look in front of your parents, in front of your grandparents, in front of the church family, in front of certain people, you know, like make sure that you you kind of stay in line. But then when they're gone and you're not around them, you're an entirely different person. We might say in those terms, you're inconsistent. There's an inconsistency between your public and private behavior. Or maybe it's just a failure to value God in your daily decision making. Like, Faith is not a part of your regular daily life. It's an occasional thing. And we're coming to a season of the year when uh, church attendance is more of a traditional habit and a family expectation rather than a choice driven by faith. Right? So you just have to ask the question, wait a minute, am I actually valuing God in my daily decisions? Like, do I actually believe he is with us? And that child is saying to Ahaz every day, God is with us. Trust him. God is with us. Turn to him. God is with us. Don't trust Assyria. God is with us. He is with us. Sometimes we live as if he's not. Don't be an Ahaz. Will we trust God? Will we bring our troubles to him in prayer? Will we consider what he has said in his word and then respond? Will we rest in his promises? Will we find comfort in his word. Will we refuse to compromise? Will we trust God? That's the question Ahaz. Are you going to trust God? And that's a very valid question for us today. Will we trust God? Will we reject God's we can see? Again, that's kind of more Ahaz's struggle here. He was a, I'll believe it when I see it kind of a guy. And he could see Assyria's financial power. He could see Assyria's military power. And he's like, yeah, I can see that. I'm trusting in that. Isn't that a temptation for us, though, to trust in what we can see? The finances, oh, man, that's a big one. Like, we, we tie our peace, our, our you know, uh, lack of anxiety, our, our sense of, you know, kind of well-being, we tie that to our money, to how much money we have. Or maybe it's what you can see as far as your friends, your friend group, your social circle. It's like, as long as my friends are happy with me and I have a lot of them, well, then I'm at peace and I'm okay. They're, they are my rescuers. Or, 
again, maybe it's, it's a family connection. You know, it's like as long as things are okay in the family, then you feel good about that. Or maybe it's the government. As long as the government's going good, statistically unlikely, you're, you're doing okay, right? Maybe as long as, as long as I'm healthy, as long as the, the doctors give me a good report, as long as uh, I have job security or, you know, whatever it could be, right? It's easy to trust in what we can see, right? Because we can do that math and we think, okay, yeah, boom, if this happens and I have this much money and I lose the job or this friend, you know, you know uh, stabs me in the back, I can go over here and all that stuff. But listen, it doesn't matter how many letters you write to Assyria. The message of the sign child is he is with us. And so you don't have to look for rescue from these gods you can see. The gods of our land. Now, Emmanuel wasn't just a sign for Ahaz. That's where this gets interesting. Because Isaiah talks about this prophecy. Okay, this child's going to be born. The child was born. Assigned to Ahaz. Again, that's all confirmed in chapter 8. So we don't have time to go over all the details this morning. But you can read ahead and, and there it is. So it's like, oh, wow, cool. Okay, the, the, the child was born. Time goes by, though, right? Biblical history unfolds, and we get to the time of the New Testament, and Matthew is reflecting on the birth of Jesus Christ. And he says, this is actually the, the ultimate fulfillment of that promise in Isaiah 7, 14. Let's read verse 14 again out of Isaiah 7, then we'll track back to Matthew, see how he interprets it. So again, Isaiah says in verse 14, Therefore again to Ahaz, the Lord himself will give you a sign. See, the virgin will conceive, have a son, and name him Emmanuel. And then if you, if you want to just, I've got it in your bulletin for you there, Matthew 1, 21 to 23. I think I have it even up on the slides, perhaps. But uh, Matthew writes, and this is, of course, uh, the conversation that's happening between the angel of the Lord and Joseph. Joseph is told by the angel of the Lord, she, Mary, will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And then Matthew says, now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, you can just put in parentheses there, the prophet Isaiah, see, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. So by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, okay, the Apostle Matthew looks at this whole situation with Mary and the fact that the Spirit of God caused Mary to be pregnant without her having a physical relationship to Joseph before they were, mar- before they were married, right? The Lord causes her to be pregnant. And so she, as uh, an unmarried virgin, conceives this child. And, and so as Matthew's unpacking all this, he goes, he, he puts two and two together. He's like, this is, this is what Isaiah was talking about in Isaiah 7, 14. There was an initial fulfillment in the time of Ahaz, but then there's a greater fulfillment in the birth of Jesus, the Messiah. And so Matthew says, Listen, let me tell you, just, just so we're all clear, all this was going down to fulfill what Isaiah prophesied in chapter 7, verse 14. Namely, that it wasn't just a young woman who got married and had a, a child and it was assigned to Ahaz, which that happened, but a miraculous conception happened by the work of the Holy Spirit with Mary. And so he, the angel of the Lord tells Joseph, Joseph, it's okay. You, know, you need to know that God is fulfilling his promises in this child. The child will be called Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. You see, Matthew takes the miracle of the incarnation and he links it back and literally says, this fulfills Isaiah 7.14. 
But did you know that the issue is still a matter of faith? It's a question of, will we trust God to deliver? And now we're not talking about political deliverance from Pekka and Rezin. Now we're talking about deliverance from the enemy, right? The enemy that besets all of us, the problem of sin. And Matthew, in recording the birth of Jesus for us, Matthew says, you need to know that, that this child is the greater Emmanuel. It's not just he reminds us that God is with us. This child is actually literally God with us. Just think about that for a moment. It wasn't just that God was going to send a prophet to do his work, or God was going to equip a priest, or God was even going to take a, a, a king from the line of David to do this work. God said, I will do this work. So I will take on flesh. And so Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God, says, I will take on flesh. I will walk among them. I will be the, the, the true prophet. I will be the great high priest. I will be their king. And as such, I will lay down my life for their rescue. You see, Jesus is literally Emmanuel, God with us. And there's encouragement for us here from Isaiah, not just to think about Jesus and the miraculous nature of his birth, but to think about the fact that the doctrine of the incarnation is central to the gospel. That if Jesus is not God with us, then you might as well write those letters to Assyria. Because we wouldn't have reason to hope, right? It's so interesting, the sign child, both for Ahaz's time and in our time, the, the sign child really kind of brings the issue of faith and just asks the question, which way are you going to go? Are you going to trust God or not? Because those are your options, right? And so here with Emmanuel, with Jesus being Emmanuel, God literally with us, Matthew says, echoing Isaiah, Joseph, trust God, this is the way to go. And Matthew is saying, hey, reader, whoever you are, you no, don't just trust God, trust Jesus, God with us. Because, because the fact that he is with us means we have genuine, real hope. Again, the doctrine of the incarnation is central to the gospel. It's not just he is with us, it's Jesus is with us. There is eternal encouragement here for us. So again, maybe you're here this morning and you're coming in to, to this worship service even with troubles going on in your life. And maybe it's external circumstances that are causing the problems or maybe it's internal. Maybe it's you are struggling to trust God. But one way or another, there's a message here in the sign child. And the message is God is with us. And he is with us in the person of Jesus who took on flesh for us. Again, eternal encouragement. Do you realize, listen, some of us, I mean, let's, let's, let's just be honest. Some of us have a hard time stopping to help somebody with, a, with a, a flat tire on the road. I would barely stop for you. No offense. <laughs> but here the eternal second person of the Trinity says, I'll go. I'll take on flesh, and I will walk with them, and I will walk for them, so that they will always know that Emmanuel, that God is with us. We often say it, but it's worth repeating this morning. Jesus is the proof that God loves you more than anyone else ever could. 
There's so much encouragement in the doctrine of the incarnation that this child born to Mary, it wasn't just a miraculous conception. It was a miraculous conception that meant that this baby born was not only human, but it was indeed divine. Now, why did Jesus have to do that? Why did Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, have to take on flesh for us? There are a lot of answers to that. I can give you some here just to get you going to think about this. But just think. Think about the fact that Jesus being born means God is with us. So Jesus, in taking on flesh, he displays God's glory. You're going to get that out of John 1, 14 and 18, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And he puts on display for us to see the character of God, namely being full of grace and truth. We see the glory of God on display in Jesus. So that's why he took on flesh for us. God is with us. Jesus truly represents us, though, because he took on flesh, because he is uh, fully God and fully man, he can fully represent us. In Romans 5, 12 to 21, we find out how important it is, not only that we're connected to Adam and therefore we fell into sin because of Adam's failure, but therefore we can also be connected to Jesus and we can be forgiven because Jesus can be our representative. Jesus was tempted as we are, yet without sin. Again, so he takes on flesh so he can walk a mile in our shoes, so to speak. And yet when he walks a mile in our shoes, he doesn't walk a mile in our shoes and fail as we fail. He walks a mile in our shoes. And what does he do? Without sin. Hebrews 4, 14 and 15. Also in Hebrews 4 there, he passed through the heavens. Jesus took on flesh. Was God very God, man very man. Why? So that he could not just walk a mile in our shoes, but he could walk a mile in our shoes to the cross. So he could die in our place that we could be forgiven. And so he could conquer sin and death in his resurrection. I mean, the, he's with us. He is with us. He models in the incarnation loving sacrificial service of what a God-glorifying lifestyle looks like. Philippians 2, 5 through 8. You want to see what it looks like to love others, to love God and love people? You want to see that fleshed out? The Apostle Paul says you look to Jesus. You think like Jesus, who although uh, equality with God was his, he did not consider it something to hold on to, but he said, I'm willing to set that aside, take the form of a servant, become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. He is with us. Jesus is the firstborn of many brothers and sisters, Romans 8, 29. Meaning that in his death and resurrection, he paves the way for all who would trust in him. It's all about faith, remember? For all who would trust in him to become part of the family of God. And so when you repent of your sins and put your faith in Jesus for the first time, you are welcomed into the family and you are a brother or a sister of the Lord. His, his resurrection was the first of many. That's the idea there in Romans 8, 29. Jesus had to take on flesh to put on display the mystery of the gospel, 1 Timothy 3, 16. And that's really, I think, where it might be worth just settling this morning as we think about Isaiah 7. The divine Messiah is our only hope. God with us is our only true hope. And whatever else we're tempted to put our hope in, right, there's a call here to not be Ahaz. Don't be stubborn. And don't think that, you, that pious unbelief is fooling God. It might fool others, but, it, but you're not going to fool him. The divine Messiah is our only hope for forgiveness because of all those reasons we just reviewed. And he's our, he's our only hope for restoration, for genuine lasting peace. 
And so, yeah, in 1 Timothy 3.16, we find out that the incarnation puts on display the mystery of the gospel. It's like we just can't, you can't ever wrestle that one down and explain it. Here, let me just explain to you briefly uh, how Jesus is God, very God, and man, very man, right? That's not going to happen because the wonder of the incarnation is something that we will eternally, right, be worshiping God for and growing in our understanding of. So just think of it this way. Since the divine Messiah is our only hope, we should respond not only in faith, but in worship. Can I just encourage you this year? Be, be in awe of Emmanuel. It's, you know, one of the, the best things about some of our traditions is that occasionally we get a chance to just kind of put the brakes on what's going on. And even if it's just a Christmas Eve service, we just take, take a minute to just stop and just be in awe at the fact that God is with us in Jesus. I wonder if you're worshiping enough. And if we're not worshiping, it comes back to the question of faith. Maybe I'm not worshiping. Maybe I'm not in awe because, frankly, I think I've got this covered. I've written my letters to Assyria. And I, I, I don't need a savior, I don't think. I think I've got one in my money. I think I've got one in my friends. I think I've got one in my job or the government or whatever. I wonder, are you worshiping in light of the incarnation? Because that's where it's got to end up. It's got to end up, like, faith has to end up in that moment of worship and awe. And that's really the only time we finally get to just be at peace and at rest. Faith has got to settle there in worship. And I just want to encourage you with uh, one of my buddies, John Owen. He, he made this point like 500 years ago, 400 years ago. It's a long quote, but just work with me on it, okay? Uh, because it, it's, and we'll get to the end and it makes sense. Hopefully we'll just settle at the end. But he says this about the incarnation. He says, moreover, this constitution of the person of Christ being the most admirable and ineffable effect of divine wisdom, grace, and power it is that alone which can bear the weight of the whole superstructure of the mystery of godliness. Note what he says here, basically saying this, the incarnation is so glorious, we can't even describe how great it is. It's the outworking of God's wisdom, his grace, and his power. He says, it's that alone can bear the weight of the mystery of godliness, the weight of the gospel. But then note where he goes. He says that wherein to the whole sanctification and salvation of the church is resolved. It all settles there in God with us. And then he says, wherein alone faith can find rest and peace. Are you looking for rest this year? Are you looking for peace? Owen's point is you're never going to find it. You're never going to find it outside of Christ. Specifically in the fact that Jesus is God with us. Just be blown away. Be blown away that a virgin conceived and gave birth to a son. And his name was called, well, his name wasn't called Emmanuel, was it? It was called Jesus. What are we going to do about that? The name Jesus, Hebrew Joshua, means the Lord saves. God is with us in that the Lord saves. These two names are connected. They're connected to say to us, trust in Emmanuel. Believe in Emmanuel. 
because it's only in Emmanuel that God saves. When you believe, you worship. This is where Ahaz was totally off. He's like, I've got the religious language down. Leave me alone, Isaiah. And Isaiah's like, no, you're missing the whole point of the sign child. And you and I need to ask that same question. Have I missed the point of the sign child? Am I still trusting in what I can see? What I can touch? When you believe, you worship. So this year, be in awe at the wisdom of God on display in the incarnation. Just be in awe about the fact that in the eternal wisdom of God, his plan was to send his son who took on flesh for us. Just say, that's the, that's the eternal wisdom of God. No one could have come up with a better plan. No one could beat that. Be in awe at the wisdom of God and the incarnation. Be in awe at the power of God in the incarnation. We cannot explain how Jesus is fully God and fully man. We can't understand the mechanics of how that works, but the power of God made it happen. That's why it's a sign child, right? That's why it's significant. So be in awe at the power of God this year. When you worship God at Christmas, when you're praising God for what he's done in Jesus, be in awe at his wisdom, be in awe at his power that's on display in the incarnation. Be in awe at the faithfulness of God on display in the incarnation. Why? Because, hey, house of David, God keeps his promises. And not just the ones back to 2 Samuel 7, but the ones that go all the way back to Genesis 3. In fact, the ones that go beyond that before creation. When God said, when I create them, they will fail and I will rescue them. Be in awe at the faithfulness of God because when Jesus was born, it was the fulfillment of those prophecies. And God is with us. Be in awe at the love of God on display in the incarnation. He took on flesh to rescue us. Just be in awe that God loves you that much. Be in awe at the righteousness of God in the incarnation. That it's not just that Jesus was born, but it's that Jesus died so that we could be forgiven, so that God could forgive sinners and yet still be just and still be righteous. Be in awe in the gospel of God's righteousness on display. That Jesus had to be our high priest. He had to represent us, which means he had to be man. But he also had to be a perfect sacrifice, which meant he had to be God. And therefore, the incarnation was the only way for God to both be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Just be in awe of that this year. Be in awe of what the table represents. Be in awe at the mercy of God in the incarnation. Jesus says, I am God with you. And Jesus doesn't come to judge you. He doesn't come to finally collect what he's owed. He will another day. But in the incarnation, the first coming, Jesus came to do what? To say, if you're weary, if you're a sinner, you come to me and I will give you rest. I will give you mercy. Be in awe at the grace of God on display in the incarnation. Back to Hebrews 4, that because we have a great high priest who took on flesh, right, and, and walked in our shoes and didn't fail, because we have that great high priest, we can approach the throne of God with confidence, with boldness, and find grace and mercy in our time of need. Be in awe at the grace of God in the incarnation. Be in awe ultimately at the glory of God in the incarnation. For all that and more, God with us 
not only means that we have a rescuer, but it means that his greatness is easier to see. His greatness is put on display when Jesus, the Son of God, took on flesh to rescue us. So yes, Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And he wasn't just with us when he was born. He was with us as he lived. The majority of his life up there in Galilee, right, working with these fishermen and these simple folk who lived out in the kind of the northern, kind of, you know, Sussex County version in Israel, right, that area. He was with us when he healed the sick. He was with us when he preached. He taught what the word of God truly is. He was with us when the disciples didn't get it and he stuck with them. And he was with us when he walked that last road up to Jerusalem. And he was with us when he went to the cross. And he was with us when he rose from the dead. And he walked out of the tomb. And he was with us as he ascended back into heaven. And did you know that today, right now, he is with us, sitting at the right hand of the Father, arguing on behalf of all those who will what? Who will believe in him. All those who will put their faith in him. Yeah, Christmas. It's easy to think about faith this time of year, but don't, don't buy the lie of the culture. Don't believe it's good enough just to have faith generically. Don't be like Ahaz. Don't sanitize unbelief and say, oh yeah, I, I, I believe. Ask this question. Have I genuinely trusted in God? And just know that God has promised he would be with us. And in Jesus, he is with us right now. So we can praise God for Emmanuel. Would you pray with me? Let's do just that. Lord, we thank you this morning for this prophecy in Isaiah 7. And we think about the original context here with Ahaz. And Lord, although it's, it's maybe easy for us to think about how terrible Ahaz was, we would have to and must confess our own unbelief this morning. That we struggle. We struggle to believe what you have said. We struggle to trust you. Lord, so often we follow the world. We, we are tempted and we give in to temptation and we trust in what we can see. We trust in what everybody else is into, Lord. We, we seek peace and fulfillment even justification, Lord, in the gods of our culture. And Lord, we confess that sin. We've written our letters to Assyria. Lord, forgive us. Lord, help us this morning, not merely, though, to confess unbelief, but to respond in faith, to be encouraged by this message that you are with us. And not only were you with Israel in the time of Ahaz, but Lord, on a greater scale, you are, with, you are with all of us in that, Lord Jesus, you took on flesh and you walked this earth being fully God and fully man, healing, teaching, dying and rising, Lord, so that we could be forgiven, so we could finally be at peace and at rest. Lord, may we believe in the true Emmanuel. Lord, and as maybe we're struggling this morning, we ask that we would even go from this place with uh, a changed heart, with renewed faith. Lord, 
and be glorified as we respond to the birth of the sign child, we ask. In your name, Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. Amen.